mountains bow down before Jesus Christ our risen Lord. Jesus Christ our risen Lord. Mighty Sunday reading, which will be on the screens in front of you. And please note that there will be lines for leader, for all, and for women, and for men as we go through. For one day, Lord, for just one day, everything seemed to go well. Your disciples rejoiced. They were eager to share your glory. 
in the city of David. They would have preferred to have you ride into the city on a white stallion. But they brought to you the donkey. For preferring the simple life to trappings of royalty. Once, during a long, hot trip to Galilee, you stopped for a drink of water at a well in Samaria. A woman there expressed her amazement that you, a Jewish man, would stop to talk to her, a woman, and a despised Samaritan. In gentle humility, you revealed yourself to her as the living water. A perpetual spring that could quench her thirst forever with eternal life. Overjoyed, the woman told her neighbors that she had met the Messiah. And many men and women in their small Samaritan village found living water that day. We thank you, Lord, for breaking down thy barriers between us and for offering to all people equality, your gift of eternal life. And then, that final trip to Jerusalem. The people hailed you, Lord, on that one day when everything seemed to be going so well. They opened their path and followed the righteous. They shouted happy and generous to welcome them. Yes, Lord, for just one day, everything seemed so perfect. But you were not deceived. Your eyes remained clear. You knew how quickly the shouts of Hosanna would turn into cries of let him be crucified. You knew what awaited you on the hill just outside Jerusalem. We glorify you, Jesus, for steadfastly setting your face toward a city where you knew you would suffer pain, betrayal, and death. And that out of your courage and sacrifice would come forgiveness, reconciliation, and redemption. See the King of Glory coming on the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes. The whole earth shakes. I see His love and mercy washing over all our sin. The people.
please be seated. Father, we cry, Hosanna. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. We want to be like the children crying out praises to you. And this morning we've come to worship you, to give you thanks for what you do, what you promised to do, and to open our hearts to you. Father, we thank you for for being present with us. We thank you for inviting us to, to pray, to come to you with the burdens and the concerns of our hearts and our lives in this world. This morning we pray for all who are grieving. We think especially of Bruce and Denise Campbell and their family at the death of Bruce's father. We pray for all who are struggling with health issues. We ask that you would bring healing or healing grace upon each one. We pray, Father, for all the other needs that we represent. Struggles in our homes and places where we work, our relationships, this everyday life. May we know that you are present with us every moment and you are at work. Father, we pray for our nation and this world. We ask that you would bring peace to our nation and to this world. We think about the the ongoing conflict in Syria and how that seems to have escalated this week. And we pray, Father, for the people who have who have uh, are grieving loss for the injured. We pray, Father, that that you will somehow bring peace to this land of people that you deeply love. Help our nation and the other nations of the world to know the right way to respond to what we see happening there. That it would be, we would be catalysts for peace. Father, we, we pray for refugees in this world and the struggles that they have. We pray for your church in the world. We thank you for the work of those who serve you in places that are not their home. And pray for Joel and Barb Trudell as they work with SIL and in Africa and as they equip and train Africans to, to carry on the work of of uh, getting the scriptures into people's hands, of literacy, of education. And we pray that all of this will be a means of helping people know who you are and to experience you in their lives. We pray, Father, for your church around the world, and we particularly think of our brothers and sisters who face great difficulties. To see this morning the, the attack in Cairo, 25 Christians... Uh, murdered in the church as they celebrated what we are celebrating today, Palm Sunday. And we suspect that as this Holy Week moves forward and as there are, there are more activities and they are moved toward more and more holy days of the church, that the, the threats and the intensity of attack may well increase. And we pray that you would bring peace, that your people might worship you this week in freedom, And know that you are helping them and protecting them. And we pray, Father, that in these difficult times, that those who who are threatening them and attacking them might see your love in our brothers and sisters. Father, we we thank you for, for the ministry of our church here. We thank you for all the children as they came forward today with the palm branches. We're reminded of how fortunate we are to have so many children 
and, and also the great responsibility we have to care for them and to nurture them in the faith. And may we, may we take that so seriously. And we pray, Father, that you would bless not only the ministry of our church, but the churches around us. And today we pray for Our Lady of Angels, Roman Catholic Church in Cuba. And Father Dennis, we pray that you would bless this congregation of believers, that they would be united to each other and that they would be wit- bear witness to you in their community and beyond. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. Be glorified as we continue in worship. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 19, 28 to 46. I'd ask that you stand for the reading of the gospel. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. This is the word of the Lord. Before you're seated, uh, take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Welcome them. Share a word of peace.
So let me just uh, quickly uh, remind you or make note of a few things that are in the bulletin. Uh, you'll notice that uh, next Sunday, of course, is Easter, and I'll talk to you a little bit more about that in a second. But if you're able to help out with Children's Church during the 10 o'clock Easter service, uh, you can let Emily Hoffman know. Also, if you'd like to be a part of the nursery schedule, this from May through September, uh, this is the last day to sign up. There are some sheets in the back there. Uh, just grab those, and uh, you can uh, hand it to one of the ushers or drop it off at the church office, slide it under the door there, and we will uh, make sure it gets to the right person. The schedule is going to be made in the next day or two. Also, we're continuing to sign up for the church directory. If you haven't yet signed up to have your pictures taken, let me encourage you to do that. We'll be signing up um, uh, this morning, and you can sign up online or through the church office as well. There are a couple of inserts in your bulletin specifically about this week. Uh, You will notice that we have, uh, because this is a special week, we have some special activities going on. And let me encourage you um, to participate in as many of those as you can. On Thursday, we have our annual Monday Thursday service, which is a gathering to think about the, the, the last night of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross, night with his disciples. The service has a lot of imagery and symbolism to it. A lot of things happening in this service interactively. Uh, and so we, we hope you'll be a part of that. We'll be here at the sanctuary. Friday, we have a, a Good Friday event planned. It's a come-and-go event from 10 in the morning to 6 in the evening. We'll be here in the sanctuary, and we're thinking about the journey to the cross. A little bit different than we've done the last few years. Uh, we will focus some on the events of that Friday, but more on what those events mean for us. What are the implications of Christ? coming to the, and dying on the cross. And we have some interactive things for you to do here in the sanctuary. Also, communion will be available as well. And you can feel free to come and go at any point during those hours. Uh, stay as little or as long as you want. Uh, but uh, be able, it's an opportunity just to think a little bit more about the cross. And the next Sunday is Easter. Uh, it's High Holy Day. We have uh, two services, at one at 745. And this is a service centered around baptism. We have six people being baptized next week. And so we hope you'll be a part of that. A breakfast will follow. There's an insert in your bulletin about uh, you can help with that by donating some food. This is a fundraiser for our youth group. It's a free will offering. Just come give whatever you want to. Uh, whatever whatever we, uh, they are able to make, they will help with the youth on a mission trip this summer. And then we our worship service is at 10 o'clock next Sunday morning. And so just note that uh, those are all different things and the times are different. Uh, so just please take note of that. I have found... That the more I participate in the, uh, in the various events of this week, uh, the more next Sunday Easter uh, comes alive. As we think about uh, that Thursday night and Friday, uh, it makes the celebration of Sunday that much more meaningful. So I hope you'll be able to participate as uh, we gather in these times. King Jesus. 
Jesus rides on a milky white horse, no man works like him. The river of Jordan he did cross, no man works like him. He is King of kings, he is Lord of lords. Lord Jesus Christ, the first and last, no man works like him. And he comes for me, no man works like him. He comes to set his people free, no man works like him. He is King of kings, he is Lord of lords. Lord Jesus Christ, the first and last, no man works like him. Uh, churches can you call in when you find out you're preaching on Palm Sunday and say, I want that particular spiritual and I want a piano player who can play and a singer who can sing and uh, it's a pretty amazing place we have here. I requested that when I uh, found out that I'd preach today on Palm Sunday. Jesus on a white horse is a picture of the king in Revelation chapter 19. I saw heaven standing upon, uh, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His name is the Word of God. On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Earlier in the book of Revelation, John records that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I can just hear the hallelujah chorus, if you remember that. Uh, That's where those words come from. But that's a far cry from the humble Jesus riding in peace toward Jerusalem. In the scriptures that we're focusing on today, from the Gospels, all four Gospels talk about the uh, entry of Christ into Jerusalem. We'll focus especially on Luke chapter 19 and a bit of Matthew chapter 21. Is this the same king? The one on the white horse and the one on the donkey? What kind of king is Jesus on Palm Sunday? And what does this intriguing drama have to do with you and me and with our world today? I recognize this is a very familiar story, and you've seen the kids. We love it every Sunday, Palm Sunday, when they come down with their palm branches and uh, race around to get more, and it's quite a joy. I took a picture or two of it. I hope it'll come out. And next service, maybe my grandkids will get in it. Hope they don't mess it up. You know how that grandparents. Um, My wife wants to go with her granddaughter down the aisle. Will you mind if an older person comes down? You know, it's very familiar to us. 
And so I have to ask you to work a little harder at this sermon because we're going to go over a familiar story. But I want us to focus on Jesus, to renew our faith and our love for him. Jesus, the humble, life-giving king, enters Jerusalem on God's mission at the start of a very special week. pastor just mentioned some of the events, and we know the events in his life. So he deserves our total allegiance, our worship, and our service. Before we get into the text of the sermon, the, 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 the story, I want to set the stage with a couple of things. With God as the writer-originator and Jesus as the director-actor, Palm Sunday is more than just an entertaining day for parade lovers, just stuck in before the big events of Gethsemane and the Last Supper and, and Good Friday and Easter, which we know are big events. We will see that the Old Testament prophets foretold and Jesus choreographed with great precision this day. Second, the four Gospels report that for months Jesus has been aiming, pointing, directing towards this day and this week as he traveled toward Jerusalem. And Jerusalem today is filled and filling more with pilgrims preparing for the great Passover celebration. Sometimes uh, they talk about six times or ten times more people in Jerusalem than in a normal, uh, normal week. And he had warned his baffled disciples that he was going to Jerusalem to die, a cruel death, and they were already plotting to kill him. Thirdly, uh, strangely, during this last year of his life, as Jesus was doing miracles and people were healed and disciples knew more about him, he told them to keep his Messiahship a secret. He warned them not to tell others. But on this day... He lets the can out of the worms, we might say. He opens it up. He talked plenty before about the kingdom of God, but who was the king? Now the city was abuzz with the question, will Jesus come? Will the master come? Is he coming to this Passover? Well, yes, he's coming. And finally, without getting into all kinds of details about Jewish history and the Passover, there are sources that claim that the Romans in Palestine fearful of Jewish uprisings, especially when the city was full, put on an annual display of imperial power prior to the Passover, parading into Jerusalem from a, a military fortress called Caesarea Maritima, 75 miles west on the coast, parading in with horses and chariots, and even on some occasions, Herod Antipas or Pontius Pilate would head the parade on a great horse. So, just tuck that picture away in your minds as we go now to the Scripture here in uh, chapter 19 of Luke. I'm going to do it in four stages, since we're kind of calling four scenes. We're kind of calling this a drama. First, a donkey, a password, and a prophecy. You can see the text. If you open your Scripture, you can be there. Jesus has walked miles down from Galilee. He goes back and forth. He's on his feet all the time. And he'd done it often and been to Jerusalem before. Now there are only three miles to go. But in this, at this particular Sunday day, he texted ahead and reserved a donkey, a rental donkey. I don't know if it was Hertz or Avis, but somebody. And uh, to transport him from Bethany up the road into uh, Jerusalem. Bethany, of course, is where his 
friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived, and there was the raising of Lazarus from the dead not too long before, and uh, it was probably his bed and breakfast for the whole week uh, of the Holy Week, because it says he went back on Sunday evening even to have to rest in Bethany. Uh, the place was packed, so there wasn't much room in the inn. Oh, this was another story. But anyway, there wasn't much room. Right. And then there's that password. <laughs> the Lord needs it. And so something was arranged. We don't know much about the details. Who? And then there's that surprising donkey. Matthew gives us a little fuller account, so you might have to slip over if you were in Luke. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let me read further the full text of this Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. A nice Hebrew personification of the city. See, your king comes to you. Your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. What a prophecy, way back in the book of Zechariah. So this four-legged taxi ride wasn't just a whim, last-minute thing. Something very important and long-planned was happening. Kings did ride on horses in the early days in Jewish history, but also there were examples in the Old Testament, David's life and others, where they rode into the city on donkeys. The donkey was a symbol of peace. Now, I want to give this donkey a little bit more credit, by the way. Pastor West sometimes sings for you. I'll read you a poem about the donkey. It's by G.K. Chesterton. Maybe you know this poem. Last service, I was surprised one of the people said, I just read that poem this week. It's a poem from the donkey's point of view, this particular donkey's point of view. It's about the way he came into the world and people don't respect him. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon a thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all, of all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will. Go ahead, starve, scourge, deride me. I am dumb. I keep my secret still. Fool. For I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout in my ears and palms before my feet. The good old donkey. Yes, Jesus had some method in his madness here of riding into the city on a donkey. The plot is clearer. Jesus deliberately announces his coming his role as Israel's long-anticipated Messiah. The secret is out. King David's successor, the Prince of Peace, has come. Peace for Israel, yes. But also his mission this week was to give his life a ransom for many, for the nations, for us, to find our peace with God. 
So that's the first scene. The next scene, the crowd, the shouts, the praise, and stones. This is why I chose to read this through the book of Luke. It's the only gospel that records this part of it. His followers weren't missing the point at all. They led him along with carpet of clothes and palm branches, waving the palm brows and boughs and a chorus of messianic psalms and praises. Look at Psalm 118. You'll see a lot of what they quote. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Who were these people in this crowd? Well, they were likely fellow pilgrims coming from the east, coming from the north, down the Jordan Valley. Probably they had even many of them come with Jesus on his journey. Quite a few were probably right there from local Bethany. People who had experienced the miracles of Jesus and have even seen the resurrection of Lazarus. So I think these were not the same people who later say crucify him. I think these were the sincere believers. And Jesus accepts their praise. He doesn't say much. He just kind of soaks it all in. Until the infiltrating Pharisees told Jesus to silence the crowd. They were likely worried about this commotion. It would draw the attention from the hyper-alert Roman guards who were surrounding the temple even at this time. So Jesus replies, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That's a lot of hyperbole, I guess. Maybe not. Why could he be so sure? Isn't this just a little over the top? But I want to turn your attention to another Old Testament passage, and that's in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. And unless you're into prophecy and big charts and a stick that points to all the weeks and days and months, and I'm not going to go there. Don't worry. We're not going to go into that. But, you know, there is a prophecy here that's pretty clear. Daniel 9, 24 and 25. Seven sevens are decreed. Well, let me say, Daniel was praying for his city, Jerusalem, for its restoration and for its uh, future. And God sends the angel Gabriel in Daniel chapter 9 to answer his prayer. And here's what Gabriel says. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Verse 25, Daniel chapter 9. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and build Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. And already your heads are spinning. What are we talking about here? I won't rehash all the possibilities of interpretation. It is complex, and people don't always agree, but several esteemed biblical scholars, including Dr. Alva McLean, founder and president of Grace Theological Seminary, I think Phil Stockton went there, and Dr. Bruce Wilkie, who is a Houghton alum, very esteemed, and an Old Testament scholar, and others, they float the possibility that Gabriel is referring to a well-established date in history, Artaxerxes' undisputed decree in 445 B.C. to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That's the uh, same thing covered in Nehemiah chapter 2 when he gives the decree, go back and build Jerusalem with my blessing. So there's a date. Keeping it simple, these scholars understand that the weeks or sevens in Daniel are groups of seven years. 
seven years. If you look at it closely, taking the total 69, 62 plus 7, mathematician Dick Harder will confirm this later, 62 plus 7, um, you multiply that by seven years and it's 483 years. Now these guys go right down to the day. There's more explanation than I can give here. But they actually calculate to the exact day, Palm Sunday, 32 A.D., as a fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, again, if you don't go off on that end and I, you feel like I'm on the deep end, okay, okay, okay. But there's got to be some reason why the stones would cry out if these people don't cry out when the Lord's anointed enters Jerusalem, kind of waving flags saying, I'm here. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? This is a big day on God's calendar and in God's big mission. Because the redemption of his people and the hope for this city had come. And we shouldn't lose hope. Sometimes when the events of the news and turn on the television and you hear what's going on in our world and it drags on and it drags on and it drags on, you say, God, you're asleep. When are you going to act? God isn't asleep. A plan for Jerusalem and Israel, yes, but we know that God has even larger kingdom plans till the end of the age. He commissions us to partner in that mission, telling, us the, telling others about the good news of Christ. And we can be confident in God partnering with us as we partner with his mission. He's at work. We should be about our work as well for his kingdom. A third scene in this scripture passage, there's a look, a pause, and tears. Luke offers us exclusively this, uh, this little insight in his gospel, an exclusive scoop. Jesus takes a bend in the road, and suddenly there in front of him is the scene of Jerusalem. Joy and celebration and dancing and shouts all around him, but Jesus can't hold back tears as he catches his first panoramic sight of the city of Zion. And we listen in. He says, if only you had known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. And he goes on with those even graphic details of the overthrow of Jerusalem, which is coming a few decades away. He said, they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus reinforces this story in the next chapter of Luke. During the two or three days before he gets very close with his disciples, the Last Supper, he does a lot of teaching in the temple area. And he tells the parable of the tenants, chapter 20, where they refuse the one who came for them. And it reminds me of John chapter 1. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. They saw Jesus that day, and they saw him this week, but they refused him. 
But Jesus is looking out on the world today, just as he did in Matthew records, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He sees the wars. He sees the thousands fleeing for their lives. He sees suffering millions. He sees people who are lonely and hopeless. He sees ahead to the long-term prospects if they don't choose him. And so now the message of the day is even clearer. Jesus, come. He cares. He loves. He weeps. He invites. He warns. The good news is still just that for our world today. Do we have that same longing? Do we weep? Do we pray? Are we looking for kingdom breakthroughs, for refugees, for the inner city? up and down the streets of Allegheny County and the hills? Are we desperate for the next generation, our children, our youth, our college students, to know well the Prince of Peace and to live the abundant life that he plans? So there's opportunity for us to enter into his mission. Finally, there's another scene. And I've thrown it in here. In Luke, that sounds like it's the same day. We know from the other Gospels that the cleansing of the temple was on Monday, the next day. On Sunday, he traveled on into Jerusalem, today, Palm Sunday, directly to the temple area. And according to Matthew's Gospel, the children and crowd continued to sing his praises, Hosanna to the Son of David. And the leaders said, tell your children to be quiet. And he says, out of the mouths of babes will come God's blessing. And he even healed people and healed the sick on that scene in the temple. And it also says he looked around at the temple and he saw what he saw. And I believe he went back to Bethany that night and actually calculated what he would do the next day on Monday. It seems clear that on Monday he didn't just spontaneously get angry, like I do sometimes. (laughs) He had a plan. Again, part of this demonstration of who he was. The Lord's anointed has come to his temple, and he wanted to declare who he was. So he entered the temple court of the Gentiles. That's the outer area of the temple, still within its grounds. And it was where the non-Jews were supposed to come and worship, and there were many of them there. But how could they worship with all the chaos and commotion of the commerce and the trades that were going on? And so he drove them out and said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. So Jesus completes this introductory phase, this whole act and drama of Holy Week with a bold demonstration that the anointed one had come to his city, had come to his temple to declare salvation to the city, to the nation, to the people of God, and to the whole world. Make room, I've come. Make way. So what kind of king is this? He's the king of peace. He's the Messiah, the hope of Israel, and the hope of the whole world. You know, uh, this idea of opening it up for the Gentiles, I'm reminded of a story I just heard this week from one of our uh, missionaries that recently in Sweden, uh, an Iranian uh, immigrant to that country was going to be tossed out. 
And so he went on a hunger strike. But he needed a place where it could be more public. So believe it or not, he chose the hunger strike on the front steps of a, of a Pentecostal church in Sweden. Nobody else gave him permission, but the Christian said, well, we'll give you permission. And he was, he was a nominal Muslim, kind of more like an atheist, didn't believe much of anything, and a young man. And he was protesting the government, kicking him out of the country. And so he came day after day during a fast, a hunger fast. And meanwhile, these Christians are nice to him and gave him their facilities, and there he was. And eventually, his fast caused enough ruckus that they gave him permission to stay in the country of Sweden. But something else happened. He saw Christians, and he became a Christian, put his faith in Christ. And, of course, then his testimony was well known, and the church caught on fire, and they say now there are 750 Muslim immigrants coming to that church in, in one of the two largest cities in Sweden. Story, true story, just learned this week from one of our, our dear friends here in Houghton, Don Little. And it just reminds me that God is still reaching out for people to meet the Prince of Peace and to find his peace. Well, what does this passage have to do with us? I've hinted at a few things. Let's face it. This was Jesus' day. It was his moment. It was his week. Triumphant, tragic, and ultimately victorious. So it's about him. But it's also about us. It's about our response to him. Just as it was, about, it was about the reception of the people there in Jerusalem to him. Jesus came anticipating a throne. But what kind of throne? He wanted a throne in the hearts of the people. Jesus was making one final appeal. Will you not even now, even yet, accept me as Lord and King and enthrone me in your hearts, he'd say. What courage it took for him to walk into Jerusalem knowing exactly what was facing him on Friday and Thursday night. Supreme courage, but also supreme love and submission to God's will for the redemption of the world. We mustn't miss the invitation. We must enthrone him in our hearts and lift him up for others in our world today. Take special time this week to spend with Jesus. We must join the chorus of faithful, boldly declaring him as our Savior, not ashamed of Christ. Our hope is not a temporary political Savior, but the coming King of the universe. God's kingdom, God's mission, must become our mission. And so our prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ride on, King Jesus. We're on your side. We're with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming, not just to the earth as the babe and as the teacher, but coming to present yourself as the Messiah, peace-bringing peace King, Prince of Peace, but the path took you to your cross, and it's hard for people to understand. Help us to demonstrate it with our love and our compassion. Help us to be faithful to your mission. And thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
the life you gave your body was broken your love poured out you bled and you died for me there on the cross you breathed your last as you were crucified you gave it all for me Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Hallelujah, King forever. We thank you for the cross. Sealed in the darkness, lifeless thing, the frame of the Father's Son in agony. He watched His only Son be sacrificed. He gave it all for me.
Christmas time. 